Are you an Amazon shopper like Patra and I? Do you love Off Air with Emily and Patra? When you're ready to search the depths of Amazon, visit us at offairwithep.com first. Click on the Amazon ad and continue shopping like normal. This helps keep Off Air with Emily and Patra going strong. We receive a small percentage of any purchases you make through our affiliate link, but it's literally zero extra costs to you. Psychotic geeks obsessed with every little detail. It'll never get on the air. Well, I think it's good for a show to go off the air before it becomes stale and repetitive. I've just been informed that we are going off the air. Off air with Emily and Catra. Feel a little whiny, little bitch. No, I feel that. <laughs> you want your headphones? No, not really. <laughs> so, welcome. Welcome. <laughs> We have had a rough week. Oh, my gosh. Um, Our podcast from last week. Who knows if you'll even hear this? Yeah. Who knows? (laughs) I did reach out for an update. So the May 14th, 13th episode, Mm -hmm. May 13th episode is still pending. You can listen to it over on our Patreon page. But that's like it. That's the only place. Right? Um, So I emailed our host place mm-hmm. and they had a ddos attack on the website What's i don't know that what that mean? means oh my god but they We've been said attacked. <laughs> they said their developers are making changes to create better security okay and they're like they're like working on it so <laughs> it's like that one will come up eventually this one will follow yeah you might get like six in a day who knows maybe we keep going oh my um, gosh so just I mean, however you're hearing this, tune in. We post, I've posted updates on our Facebook page. Um, I can always post the episode on our Patreon page. You don't have to pay us money and Mm -hmm. donate to listen. We post them for free. Um, So, yeah, it's been an interesting couple days. It's been something. I've spent all, I spent pretty much all day Monday after we recorded, all day Tuesday trying to upload our podcast. And it was just, it would upload a little bit and then time out. And like, would, oh, I'm so angry. Emily <laughs> is always, you. she always has a smile for you, okay? Like, <laughs> she may not mean to, or she may not mean that smile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but when you come to her desk, it's always like, yeah, okay. Smile, happy, cheerful. <laughs> the past few days, <laughs> Emily's not had to. <laughs> she has a smile, but it's more like a, all right, let's. Let's see if you're going to keep the smile on my face or not. Yeah. Like, it's like a test. <laughs> it's like I'm being tested. And so I have kind of, and also our mornings. I know. Maybe that's we, it that, too. I miss you. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, remember when Emily was my friend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, oh. it's it's been a. It's been something. This past week has been interesting. We have some time off coming. I'm going to be off all next week. Yeah. And you're, well, all of this week, mm-hmm. if it comes out when it's supposed to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're going to be off a few days, right? Yeah. I'm taking just basically through Memorial Day off. Yeah. So, so and yay. Then, and then, like, the weekend after, I think, too, because my my baby cousin's great. Right. <laughs> I don't like it. Your little baby cousin. I don't like it. I remember baby cousin. he was born. Funny story. We... So, my aunt and uncle used to live in South Bend, mm-hmm. which was right right. By us. So we were able to visit them more often. And there was one time we were over at my aunt and uncle's house for some something. Mm-hmm. Maybe just visit. And you know the little, like, like the little cars that they can, like, scoot on in the yeah. house and stuff? My cousin, he was, I don't know, he was a toddler. And he was riding it and he ran into the wall and goes, damn it. Ah! 
and we lost it. I and of course, it. because we all started laughing, he did it again. Like, and then my it. uncle's yeah. like, no, no, stop, Joe. <laughs> I love it so much. But I now he's graduating. I do too. Isn't I'm going to be in trouble when we have kids and my kids start to cuss. Because you're just going to laugh. When I first say it because I'm going to laugh. It's going to be a mess. But oh. And now he's graduating high school. And he's going to the University of Michigan because he's fucking smart. Holy shit. I know. Oh, my God. Please. I feel. At his graduation party, when everybody's talking about meh, yeah. be like, remember that time you said, damn it, we loved it? Yeah. <laughs> we don't love it as much. It's not as cute. Yeah, you're not as cute when you say it now, but. <laughs> so. Um, so I'm going through these super kid of the week entries. Yeah. And there's a kid's name. Are you ready to hear it? Yes. I'm not going to say the last name. Okay. Oleander Cobain. That's first and middle name. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I love Nirvana. Yeah. I am. <laughs> I love Dave Grohl. A t-shirt, a mug. <laughs> I, like, basically Nirvana and Kurt Cobain sponsored my entire adolescence mm-hmm. <laughs> and shaped me into the woman I am today. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Oleander Cobain. I think they might win. I th- they didn't send a picture of their kid. That's why I have never picked them. Oh. Dang it. Disqualified. <sighs> That's insane. Frick. Oh, she's cute. Okay, her. Okay. <laughs> Wait. Aw, she's cute. No, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> Everything's fine. <laughs> um, Who's first this week? We don't even know. No, because I wasn't able to post anything. Um, oh, you remember I told you about that Radio Fam feature? Yeah, did you get yeah, featured? Yeah, today. Is it today? Let yeah. me see. The Radio Fam on Instagram. I'm going right now. I got now. featured because I feel so cool. You are cool. I'm going to go look. Mm. Oh, my God. Sorry. It's me. My baby. Have you been to Zaharico's? No. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. I love it. Emily. I like how they put, so they asked, like, why why I like radio, and I was like, I love the atmosphere, um, and then seeing people engage with my work is inspiring, and they posted the picture that I put of the little robin's eggs. Aww. <laughs> They're like, aww. And then Yoda made a feature. Yoda and Finn. Poor squirt. <laughs> but Yoda and Finn made a feature. Love it. Aww. Uh. <sighs> oh, my gosh. I love it. I think it's my turn to go first. I feel like I'm feeling it's a you episode first. Because was last week OJ or was that the week before? Let's look on our Instagram because even though it's not this, you know. Yeah, I didn't. To be honest, I don't even think I posted one for the week before either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't posted one since We have like, John Dillinger and Ed Gein. And we've done at least... Two episode recordings. Yeah, I did Susan Powell. and So who'd you do with Susan Powell? It was OJ. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. I could. No, I did the the museum. Uh, I did the museum yeah. last time. Oh my, see, we know Susan what we're Powell doing. Susan Powell and the museum. So it's Susan your Powell turn to go first. And the museum. Because I think you went last for that one. Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. <laughs> anyway, okay, so we're going to jump right in here. This is one I found. Um, I wanted... 
I wasn't specifically looking for like an unsolved one because I already did an unsolved one recently. Yeah. But um, I wanted like, ooh, one I hadn't heard of before or one with a twist. I don't know. One with a twist. Oh, I was like, <laughs> ooh, I want one with a twist. Um, <laughs> and I asked my mom because she was the one oh, who yeah. got me into true crime. And she said, I don't know. <laughs> Thanks, mom. I don't know. Fix my pewter. I don't know. Fix my pooter. <laughs> oh, my God. My poor mother. My family has been going through a lot. Her, You really have. Her <laughs> boyfriend of, like, 20 years. You know how older people, mm-hmm. they just don't get married. They live together forever. Yep. Which sounds great. Um, he passed away. My mom's in a nursing home. They all have to move, you know. It's just a, it's just a lot. <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to be supportive and more helpful than I am to her. But it's our busy season. Yeah. And I have worked three weekends in a row for free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm kind of like, hey, Mom, I'm going to go make some money today. So ask somebody else to help you restart your computer so you can watch Black Hawk Down. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just today. I just need one day. Yeah. Oh, gosh. My mommy. Anyway, so this <laughs> is one that I thought she'd like. Okay. Because it's, it's kind of spooky. Spooky. Ooh. spooky. A little bit spooky. Okay. I like it. <clears throat> I don't think I put a year in here at the beginning. So this uh, is. I'm so I heard sorry. you open your can and I was <sighs> like, are we getting sparkling water today? No, we're getting no. an energy drink. These You're are actually okay. really good. I've heard people like the bang. Are we allowed to say that? Bang. The bang, bang energy bang. drinks. Yeah. Yeah. I re- They're really good. And they're low cal, like, like yeah, they're low zero. carb or Zero something. everything. Zero except- everything. Sodium. 40 milligrams of sodium and 85 milligrams of potassium. And then, like, some vitamins. But that's it. There's no calories, no fats, no carbs, no sugars, no protein. No fun. But I eat a lot. I eat a lot of protein. Hey, I saw your picture. Did you eat that shrimp? I did. On purpose? Yeah. I like shrimps okay. It just makes my tummy hurt. So I could only eat, like, that. That's, like, it. Mm -hmm. I saw saw that and you're like, I was like, she's a fucking liar. <laughs> no, I was like, I, is she lying to me? I, or the internet. I, it's not my favorite because it tastes poppy. Yeah, yeah, because it pops in your mouth when mm-hmm. you bite into it. Yeah, and if it's not like cooked right, it freaks me out. Mm-hmm. Same with chicken. Even like chicken, if it's not cooked right, it freaks me out. Okay. Um, but yeah. Okay. I made it. I doused it in butter and garlic salt and cilantro Get <laughs> and it. grilled it. It looked amazing. <laughs> it was really good. Yeah, it was, and, but it still made my tummy hurt. <laughs> it looks like a good meal. But yeah. I was like, look at that shrimp. And then I was like, hey. <laughs> You're like, oh, look at that shrimp. Wait a second. Hold on. <laughs> this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is set in uh, Germany in 1921. Mm. Yeah. Germany, 1921. There, I could have just said that. The Gruber family was known for keeping to themselves. Like, like, what's his name? Matt Gruber from Criminal Minds? Never mind. Hans Gruber. That's all I could think of. Um, (laughs) From Die Hard. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, sorry. Anyway, so sorry. Uh, The family lived on a farm about an hour and a half from Munich, which housed 35-year-old Victoria Gabriel... No. Yeah. Her two children, seven-year-old, Kazelia. Okay. I, I listened to a videos yesterday to get these right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
seven-year-old Kazelia and two-year-old Joseph, as well as her elderly parents, Andreas, and an older Kazelia Gruber. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Victoria Gabriel was her maiden name. <laughs> gotcha. Also, uh, a maid, 44-year-old Maria Baumgartner, she was a newly hired chambermaid. Okay. Okay. Uh, when seven-year-old Kazelia did not show up for school and the family's mail had begun to pile up for a few days at the post office, um, neighbors decided to go see what was up. Lauren Schlittenbauer, yes. my daughter, was like, "What's? where's this? What's this? Where? What is it about? I was like, oh, it's in Hinterkaifest. But I kept saying it was in, um, like, I don't know. It sounded very Rammstein, Ramstein, oh, and she yeah. was like, "Oh, mom, <laughs> please." Anyway, <clears throat> Lauren Schlittenbauer, a farmer who lived nearby, led the search party. Um, in the barn on the family homestead, they found four brutally beaten bodies covered with straw. Inside the house, they discovered the bodies of two-year-old Joseph murdered in his crib, and the maid Maria Baumgartner. She was oh. also murdered in her bedroom. It was Baumgartner's first day on the job. No. The maid prior to Maria had quit because she believed that the house and the land were haunted. Oh, my God. Oh, I my gosh. know. I know. I know. Okay. Um, the family's autopsy reports give a list of the family's injuries in kind of gross detail. Not gross. but okay. just It's just sucky. The elder, Cazelia, showed signs of strangulation and had seven blows to the head which left her with a cracked skull. Her husband, Andreas' face was caked with blood, and his cheekbones were per- protruding. Ooh. He had been beaten, like, his his skin had been beaten away. Oh, my gosh. Um, 35-year-old Victoria's skull was smashed. Her head showed nine star-shaped wounds, hmm. and the right side of her face had been hit with a blunt object. Seven-year-old Cazelia's lower jaw had been shattered and her face and neck covered in gaping circular wounds. Ugh. It seems like they used things found in the barn slash on the farm because they were yeah. using, like, farm machinery or whatever. Yeah. Tools. Of those found in the barn, the, the adults, it according to their autopsy, this was 1921. Mm-hmm. So according to the autopsy, it says that they probably died, like, instantly um, for being attacked with a mattock, a pickaxe-like tool used for digging and chopping. Okay. Okay. But I think one side had, like, one side was blunt, one side was sharp. I think it's mm-hmm. like that. I didn't look it up, but that's what I, that's, that's what, what I picture. just, yeah. <laughs> that's what I just decided it looks like. Perfect. <clears throat> uh, the autopsy for seven-year-old Kazelia found that she likely remained alive for a while, but possibly in shock for several hours after her attack. And she had ripped out clumps of her own hair. So she was, like, lying there, unable to escape next to her mom and grandparents' dead bodies. Um, Inside the house, two-year-old Joseph and the maid Maria, uh, like I said, they were found in their bed, killed by crosswise blows to the head and Joseph by a heavy blow to his face and in a cot in his mom's room. Um, they were also covered up, Maria, with the sheets from her bed, and Joseph was covered with one of his mom's dresses. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Um, the farm animals and a Pomeranian watchdog remained unharmed. A Pomeranian watchdog? That's what it said. Oh, my God. I was like, a Pomeranian watchdog. 
I, you know, like, and I it's looked it up. <laughs> they had used that same phrase in a few different articles. So I wonder if someone used it once and that everybody else just ran with it. Yeah. Because I was like, the family pet was okay. Right? <laughs> who didn't, who, who decided to name it Pomeranian Watchdog instead of family pet? <laughs> oh. Um, the farm animals and their security weapon, the Pomeranian, were unharmed. <laughs> And they had been taken care of and fed in the several days that passed between the murders and the discovery of the bodies. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Jinx. (laughs) At first, the police thought it—oh, my God. You can tell I wrote this because I wrote, at first, the police thought it was like vagrants or a hobo. (laughs) And then I wrote, railroad folk, question mark, LOL. (laughs) <laughs> My God, I should I just love it. I should just copy and paste. <laughs> no. At first, the police thought it was like vagrants or a hobo, mm-hmm. um, but that theory was quickly pushed to the side because they also found a large sum of money that was still left in the house. So okay. they were like, so if okay, it was something yeah. like that. They would have taken the money. Um, other than the bodies and the hay and bed sheets used to cover them, nothing in the house had been disturbed. But clearly the killer had remained on the farm for several days. Neighbors, he had been feeding the animals, eating meals, and lighting fires in the fireplace because neighbors saw activity going on at the home. And they saw the smoke from the chimney and all that. Oh, my god! So they just were like, I wonder what's going on over there. Let's go see. And then they found the dead bodies. Mm. When the police questioned the former maid about why she thought the place was haunted, she said she had come to that conclusion after constantly hearing sounds in the attic and experiencing an unsettling feeling of being watched. Um, I don't like that feeling. Yeah. The freak, that's like, ugh, that's the worst. Yeah. So although Andreas, the Victoria's dad, mm-hmm. um, although he didn't believe her, he too had confided in neighbors about some strange happenings in the days before the murder. Ugh. A newspaper he did not buy was found inside of his home. And a set of footsteps was discovered leading from the forest to the house the footsteps were set in pristine and unmarked snow, and it only led to the house. No footsteps no, away from the house. Um, also, one of the family's two house keys disappeared shortly before the murder. So all of these weird things seems to... Yeah. Someone came there and lived there, like, amongst them like, for a little bit. Like, this is what those scary movies of people living in your walls in your attic are... Like, this is must this be is what it. it's made of. Yeah. <laughs> Um, eventually, the police suspected several different men connected to the family, in part because of some domestic stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, ready to get into it? All right. All right. <laughs> we both, like, shifted like, our chair. We're like, all right. Sat up straighter. Snuggle in. Let's give get it, it. Give it to us. Okay, so Victoria, the 35-year-old mom, she was a widow. Her husband died in 1914, so that was, like, seven years before the murder. Mm-hmm. During World War One, and his body was not recovered. Mm. She had a relationship with Lawrence Lawrence Schlittenbauer, Mm -hmm. the man who had led the search party um, and had discovered the bodies. Okay, sorry. I needed to interrupt. Okay, Victoria was a widow whose husband had died in 1914 during World War I, but his body was never recovered, so they were like, maybe it's him. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's come back from war and murdered everyone. Yeah. She had a relationship with Lawrence Schlittenbauer, the guy who led the search party, and um, he and Victoria both claimed that two-year-old Joseph was their son. Okay. But Lawrence eventually married someone else, and he and his wife had a baby, but that baby tragically, like, died a few weeks old when they were a few weeks old. 
So police focused on Lawrence as a suspect. They theorized that traumatized by the death of his baby and not wanting to, like, basically pay for a child that doesn't live with him, whatever, mm-hmm. that he went to the farm. He lived just a few hundred yards away. Okay. And he went to the farm and murdered Victoria and her family. Police also state, which we have heard time and time again, that during the initial investigation, Lorenz's behavior was suspicious. Mm. They said he acted nonchalant while viewing and handling the bodies and that he also knew his way around the farm. Police couldn't place Lawrence at the scene of the crime, and his knowledge of the farm could be easily explained away by having a relationship with that woman yeah. and going over and there. being, and, like, his next-door neighbor 100 yards away. <laughs> right? And, I mean, farms are farms. You look in the pole barn, you go into the house. Mm-hmm. They found the bodies in the barn. Done. Yeah. Anyway. Police also considered Victoria's husband um, saying that he had come back from the war and killed him. <laughs> But a lot of his fellow soldiers claimed to see his body once he had died in France during World War I, years mm-hmm. earlier, uh, seven years earlier. Yeah. I think we would have heard from him since then. Yeah. Um, another theory that was floated at the time was that Joseph was actually the child of Victoria and her father, Andreas. Okay. Andreas was known for... Okay. It says... For incest and abuse, and it was frequent, frequently discussed in the neighboring town. Mm. Supposedly, Andreas had had other children with his wife, Cazelia, other than Victoria, but she was the only one that survived his abuse to reach adulthood. Okay. Um, none of the injuries to the bodies, but he was dead too. Right. And none of the injuries to the bodies could be explained as self-inflicted, so it wasn't possible that the crimes were a murder-suicide. Like, did he beat himself to death? <laughs> It's put straw on top of his body. Yeah. No. Right after he died. Right. I'm sorry. Look how cool Jim Hudson looks right now. Mm -hmm. Golly. Get it. Anyway. He's got the fingerless gloves and everything. Yeah. I need some fingerless gloves. I want a motorcycle. (sighs) Will you give me a ride? I'll be bitch on the back. I don't care. Yeah. I'll snuggle right in. Anyway. Um... The murderer had to be someone who did not live at the farm. The crimes had to have been committed by someone who knew their way around a farm, though. The murderer continued farm upkeep and the murders, or after the murders, and knew how to use a mattock. So apparently they were like, oh, this is for sure this thing. The brutality of the murders suggested that they had been committed by someone with a personal vendetta against one or several of the Grubers. The case eventually went cold, but not for long. It was reopened many times over, I mean, like, the last hundred years. Mm-hmm. In 1923, the farm was demolished, and the family lays buried without their heads. Oh. In a plot in Wadehofen. The skulls were lost. I assume they took their heads for, like, evidence. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? <gasps> we're going to keep some evidence, chop those heads off, <laughs> put them in a bag. But they were lost during World War II and never returned because Germany. Yeah. Initial evidence gathered at the crime scene is either also lost or too old to be useful. Mm -hmm. In 1971, 50 years later, Mm -hmm. a woman named Therese T., no last name, wrote a letter to police about something she remembered when she was younger. When she was 12, she witnessed her mother having a visit. So, like, you know, people come over. Yeah. Um, Having a visit. Having a visit. (laughs) with the mother of a couple of men, the women claimed that the woman claimed that her sons were the two murderers of the Hinterkaifeck attacked and attack. And the mother said, um, 
that one of her sons regretted that he lost his penknife okay. while he was there in the course of the conversation. In fact, when the farm was demolished in 1923, a pocket knife was found that could not be clearly assigned to anyone, but it could have belonged to the murder victims and they're dead and couldn't say, hey, that's my penknife. Right. So this woman probably heard that and was like, hey, remember these two guys coming over and saying, you know what I mean? Yeah. But who knows? Huh. Um, okay. Another suspect, Peter Weber, was named a, sus- a suspect by Joseph Betts. The two worked together in the winter of 1919 and 1920 as laborers. They shared a room. According to Betts, Weber spoke of th- of a remote farm called Hinterkaifeck. Weber, Weber knew that only one old couple lived there with their daughter and her two children. Okay. It is likely he knew about the incest. I don't know why. Um, Betts testified in a hearing that Weber had suggested killing the old man to get the family's money. When Betts did not respond to the offer, the other guy stopped talking about it. So he kind of, like, pitched this idea mm-hmm. to a friend, and this friend told police. Hmm. Yeah. No, nothing came of it. Weird. Yeah. But they were hobos, vagrants, railroad folk, question mark? <laughs> LOL. <laughs> LOL. Um, in 2007, the students of the— <clears throat> <clears throat> Ready for this German word? Oh, yeah. Furstenfeldbruck Police Academy. Get it, girl. Took the Hinterkaifeck murders on as a cold case. The investigators were unable to identify... Um, they were able to concisely identify the murderer, but they did all agree on a theory. Out of respect for surviving family members of people related to the crime, however, that theory remains a secret. What?! In 2017, the last chapter of The Man from the Train by Bill James and his daughter, Rachel McCarthy James, briefly discusses the murders at Hinterkaifeck. The authors explain the possibility that the German crimes might have been committed by Paul Mueller, a serial killer they believe killed several families in the U.S. under similar circumstances in 1898 and 1912. The murders attributed to Mueller, were apparently random nighttime home invasions in or near small railroad towns that left entire families bludgeoned to death with the blunt end of an axe and were probably motivated by a sadistic and necrophilia attraction to prepubescent girls. Mm. Um, But this was in the U.S. Same time frame, same kind of M.O. Who knows? Uh, I guess he could have moved on after 1912 and— Went to Germany. to Germany. The case remains unsolved. Well. That's it. It remains solved, but a secret. Well, they have a theory. That's rude. That they're not sharing. <laughs> I was like, um, pardon? <laughs> what do you mean? There's a theory and they're not telling? Excuse and And I looked up you. multiple articles. Yeah. And it all says there's a theory, but they're not telling. Huh. So do you feel like it's someone famous? Probably. Yeah, I think so, too. Hmm. That's it. Hinterkaifeck. That was good. Yeah, it's spooky, right? Yeah. Yeah. So imagine you're that maid that quit. Yes. So you are like, no, fuck this place. It's scary here. I'm tired of cleaning up after this two-year-old anyway. I'm out. Mm-hmm. And, like, the next day, so, you know, like, they're like, guess fucking what? You were being watched. It wasn't haunted. It's a real person. Or a ghost like did that. it. I don't like that. <sighs> I don't like that. Yep. <laughs> I'm 
feel ya. So that's that good though. I've never like heard it? of that before. Yeah, I'd never heard of it either, but I feel like my mom would like it and she'd have like a theory. Oh yeah, your mom's got a theory about it already. <laughs> if I she can it. if she can figure out how to get to the Google, she'll look it up. <laughs> when okay, so my mom <laughs> she asked me to get her a computer to shop for her one. Mm-hmm. And so Saturday uh it was a big day for my kids. My son took an airplane ride and yeah. Um. Then I sent them to watch Endgame. Mm-hmm. It's three hours long, y'all. Yeah. So I was like, I took them to Yes, where the tickets are $4. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, because their snacks are real cheap, too. I was like, I'll give you the $4 for snacks that I would spend on my ticket if y'all just let me walk home and don't make me sit through this movie. Yeah. Because I would be bored trying to look at my phone, just mad because I won't look at my phone to avo- annoy people. Right. So they said yes, but then I went and shot for my mom a computer. And I have been over to her nursing home to help her with her computer like seven times since Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) And it's always that she's got like four Netflix programs running and just can't. It's like sucking the computer dry. Yeah. (laughs) Like (sighs) all these Google Chrome add-ons. I'm like, what? Who put this on here? She's like, I don't know. (laughs) Mama. Mommy, stop. I don't know. I don't know. I love it. (laughs) That's her. That's how she is. I don't know. Oh, goodness. That's all. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So that is the Hinterkaifeck murders. Thank you for that. Hinter means away. Oh. Behind. It means behind. Okay. And Kaifeck was the name of the town. So it was near Kaifeck. Okay. Hinterkaifeck. Interesting. My brother's taking German. Ooh, ask him. Say, hey, listen to this episode because Patra butchered a whole bunch of German words and her daughter's mad about it. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. I get that stretch out wrong. Get it. Do mm. it. I like how we both kind of have, have like good story, like in-depth stories. Yeah. Okay. Travis Alexander was born on July 28, 1977, in Riverside, California, to Gary David Alexander and Pamela Elizabeth Morgan Alexander. At the age of 11, Travis moved in with his paternal grandparents, who introduced him to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm. After his father's yeah, means, death— Means bad news. <laughs> yeah, right? After his father's death in, ni- in July of 1997, his seven siblings were also taken in by their paternal grandmother. Alexander—no— Travis was a salesman and motivational speaker for prepaid legal services, further referred to as PPL. PPL. Jody Arias was born. Oh on my God, July- I was waiting. <laughs> she was born on July 9th, 1980, in Salinas, California, to William and Sandra Arias. She and Travis met in September of 2006 at a PPL conference in Las Vegas. Jody converted to his Mormon faith, and on November 26 of 2006, she was baptized into the LDS Church in a ceremony in Southern California. Travis and Jody began dating in February of 2007, which I just like put it in my head, like why would she convert to his faith before they even like months before they start dating, like four months. I mean, it becomes clear later, but okay, four months before she's before they actually started dating, she converted to his Mormon faith. Was it okay? Never mind. What? Nothing. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be surprised. Okay. <laughs> I'm she an moved, idiot. She moved to Mesa to live closer to Travis, and in March of 2007, she moved to Eureka, California, and lived there with her grandparents. 
Travis and Jody dated off and on for a year and a half, often in long-distance relationship, taking turns traveling between their respective Arizona and California homes. Travis's friends who knew Jody observed them together and tended to have a negative opinion of her, stating that the relationship was unusually tumultuous and that Jody's behavior was worrisome. In early mm. 2008, Travis told people that Jody was joining him for a work-related trip to Cancun scheduled for June 15th. In April, Travis asked to change his travel companion to another female friend. Mm. On May of 2008, on May 28th, 2008, Jody's grandparents' house where Jody was still living was robbed. Among the missing objects was a 25 caliber automatic Colt pistol which was never recovered. I've never recovered. <laughs> Sorry. Um, on June 2nd, between 1 and 3 in the morning, Jody called Travis four times, but didn't appear to get through because the longest of the calls was 17 seconds. After 3 a.m., Travis called Jody twice, the first time for 18 minutes, the second time for 41 minutes. At 4.03, Jody called Travis back, and the call lasted 2 minutes and 48 seconds. At 5.39, Jody set out and drove south to rent a car for a long trip to Utah, um, as stated in evidence by a gasoline purchase at Shell, Food, at Shell Food Mart in Eureka. On June 2nd at 8.04 a.m., Jody rented a car at Budget Rent-A-Car in Redding, California. She indicated that she'd return the car to that same budget in Redding. She visited friends in Southern California on her way to Utah for a PPL work conference and to meet with Ryan Burns, one of her PPL coworkers. PPL. PPL. By late evening on June 3rd, Jody apparently set out for Salt Lake City. So, okay. Tra Travis missed an important conference call on the evening of June 4th. What's up, Travis? Where you at? The following day, <laughs> Jody met up with Burns in the Salt Lake City neighborhood of West Jordan, Utah, and attended business meetings for the conference. Burns later said he noticed Jody's formerly blonde hair was now dark brown and she had cuts on her hands. Hmm. On June 6th, Jody left Salt Lake City and drove west towards California. She called Travis several times, left several voicemail messages, and also accessed his voicemail system. When hmm. she returned to the rental when she returned the rental car on June 7th, it had been it had been driven about 2800 miles. Round trip mileage from Redding to Salt Lake City and back is only 1500 miles. Oh. <laughs> Suspicious. On June 9th, having been able to had no. On June 9th, having been unable to reach Travis, a concerned group of friends went to his house. His roommates hadn't seen him for several days, but believed he was out of town and didn't think anything of it. After finding a key to Travis's master bedroom, his friends entered and found large pools of blood in the hallway to the master bedroom, where Travis's body was discovered in the shower. In the 911, 911, 911. In the 911 call. The dispatcher asked if Travis had been suicidal or if anyone is or if anyone was angry enough to hurt him. His friend specifically mentioned Jody as a possible suspect, stating that Travis had mentioned she was stalking him, accessing his Facebook account, and slashing his car's tires. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, while searching Travis's home, police found his recently purchased digital camera damaged in the washing machine. You know, just casual. Just that's fine. Just dirty. Throw it in the washing it's machine. Dirty. <laughs> Police were able to recover deleted images showing Jody and Travis in sexually suggestive poses, taken at approximately 1.40 p.m. on June 4th. The final, the final photograph of Travis alive showed him in the shower and was taken at 5.29 p.m. that day. Photos taken moments later show an individual believed to be Travis profusely bleeding on the bathroom floor. 
a bloody palm print was discovered along the wall in the bathroom hallway, and it and it contained DNA from both Jody and Travis. Okay, so remember, by the late evening of June third, Jody apparently set out for Salt Lake City, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until June fifth that she met up with Ryan Burns from PPL. Okay, I remember that. So, who's taking these pictures of Jody and Travis and sexually suggestive poses at one forty on June fourth? Jody. Hmm. You're busted. Sorry. Okay. Busted. I'm just going to keep going. You're busted. Travis sustained 27 to 29 stab wounds. His throat was slit, and there was a gunshot wound to his head. Medical examiner Kevin Horn testified that Travis's jugular vein, common carotid artery, and trachea had been slashed, and that he had defensive wounds on his hands. Horn further testified that Travis may have been dead at the time, of, at the, time the gunshot was inflicted, and that the wounds on his back were shallow. Travis's death was ruled a homicide. On July 9, 2008, Jody Arias was indicted by a grand jury in Maricopa County, Arizona, for the first-degree murder of, Tra- of Travis Alexander. She was arrested at her home on July 15th and extradited to Arizona on September 5th. She pled not guilty on September 11th, and during this time, she gave several different accounts about her involvement with Travis's death, originally telling the police that she had not been in Mesa on the day of the murder and had last seen Travis in March of 2008. Even though there are pictures of them together Mm-mm-mm. on June 4th. Yeah. <laughs> she later told police that two <laughs> intruders had broken into Travis's home and murdered him and attacked her. Two years after her arrest, she told police that she killed Travis in self-defense, claiming that she was a victim of domestic violence. On April 6, 2009, a motion to reconsider the defendant's motion to disqualify the Maricopa County District Attorney's Office was denied. On May 18th, the court ordered Jody to submit to IQ and competency testing. Later in January of 2011, a defense filing detailed the efforts to which Jody's attorneys went to obtain text messages and emails. The prosecution initially told the defense attorneys that there weren't any available text messages sent or received by Travis, and then was ordered to turn over several hundred such messages. Hmm. Mesa Police Detective Esteban Flores told defense attorneys that there was nothing out of the ordinary among Travis's 8,000 emails that were turned over to the defense in June of 2009. So, you have no excuse. (laughs) The state of Arizona versus Jenny. I wish you could see her face when she said that. She's like, lion slut. Yeah. (laughs) The state of Arizona versus Jody Ann Arias trial commenced in Maricopa County's Superior Court before Judge Sherry K. Stevens on December 10th of 2011. Initial jury selection began on December 10th of 2012, which I I don't know that that's like 100% correct, but I'm pretty sure it is, but it just kind of boggles me that it took an entire year for them to start picking the jury. I don't know. Um, But, Mm -hmm. I mean, technically, the timelines line up, so I don't know if the trial started in 2012, and it was just a typo, or I don't, I don't. How know. long before? Okay, never mind. Go what? ahead. I was just gonna, I was just gonna say, like, did it take them a long time to say yes, she did it, or so I don't know, or yes, we think I, I don't know. know. So I don't those know. the, it's more of the the trial commenced date is the one that's more in question than the initial jury selection beginning right. in 2012. Um, during jury selection on December 20th, Jody's defense attorneys argued that the prosecution was systematically excluding women and African-Americans, and prosecutor Juan Martinez said that race and sex were irrelevant to his decision to strike certain, ju- to strike certain jurors. 
Judge Stevens ruled that the prosecution was showing no bias. So, like, the defense team was just, like, this entire time it feels like the defense team is just, like, pulling for scraps. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to do whatever they can. Yeah, anything they can get. Mm-hmm. Um, in opening arguments on January 2nd of 2013, Martinez sought the death penalty. Jody was represented by appointed counsel L. Kirk Nurmi and Jennifer Wilmot, who argued that Travis's death was a justifiable, justifiable homicide committed in self-defense. So they were running with the, she was doing self-defense, and mm-hmm. that's how he died. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Jody's coworker Ryan Burns, tested, testified that when she had visited him in Utah, they spent several hours hugging and kissing on a large beanbag chair. Oh, my God. She told him she had cut her hands on broken glass while working at a Margaritaville restaurant, but she didn't work at a Margaritaville restaurant because there was no restaurant that ever existed. There was no Margaritaville restaurant that ever existed in the Eureka area, and she was actually working at a restaurant called Casa Ramos. What the hell? Just say I broke it at Casa Ramos. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Later, the prosecution argued that since a twenty-five caliber round was found near Travis's body and that the gun of the same caliber was stolen from Jody's residence in Eureka. The week before, she had staged the burglary the burglary, and used the gun to kill Travis. Martinez claimed Jody had stalked Travis, slashed his tires twice, and in addition, in the final days before his death, Travis had called her a sociopath and, quote, the worst thing that ever happened to me same. and stated he was afraid of her. Me too. Which, like, you gotta be kind of crazy for a man to say that he's afraid of you. Yeah, no, I'm afraid of that bitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Uh huh. The rental car clerk. (laughs) The rental car clerk testified that when returned, the car was missing its floor mats and had red stains on its front and rear seats. I wonder what that red stain was from. Mm, Big red soda pop. Big old red soda pop. (laughs) (laughs) It couldn't be verified that the car had floor mats when Jody picked it up, and any stains couldn't be verified because the car was cleaned before before police could examine it. You see big red stains anywhere. Don't clean it up. <laughs> Just leave that big Just red. leave it. Never know what it could be. <laughs> and if it turns out to be a cherry Fanta, then great. I wanna Fanta? Don't you wanna? <laughs> Jody took the stand in her own defense on February 4th, 2013, testifying for a total of 18 days. Damn. Which is ridiculous. On the first day of her testimony, she told of being violently abused by her parents beginning when she was approximately seven years old. She testified she'd rented a car in Reading because Budget's website gave her two options, one to the north and one to the south, and her brother lived in Reading. On her second day on the stand, she said that their sex life included oral and anal sex. She said that the anal sex was painful for her the first time they experienced it together, and that while she considered those forms of sex to be real sex, Travis didn't, did not consider that as they were technically not against Mormon rules concerning regular sexual intercourse. <laughs> okay. Jody claimed that they eventually <laughs> had intercourse, but less often. His <laughs> phone sex tape was played in which Travis said he wanted to zip tie her to a tree and have anal sex with her while she was dressed as Little Red Riding Hood. Fuck. Which Jody seemed to respond to enthusiastically. <laughs> oh my God, yes. She's like, yes, Little Red Riding Hood. Oh my God, yay. <sighs> Jody had recorded. <laughs> This phone sex session, without Travis's knowledge or consent, apparently hoping to use it to embarrass him among his Mormon peers. 
Jody also testified that Travis had secretly found young boys and girls sexually attractive and that she tried to help him with these urges. But forensic experts testified that an examination of Travis's computer found no evidence of pornographic material. Grasping for straws. Mm-hmm. Jody testified that her relationship with Travis had become increasingly physical and emotionally abusive. She claimed that Travis shook her while saying, quote, I'm fucking sick of you, and then began screaming at me while after which he body slammed me on the floor at the foot of his bed and taunted her saying, don't act like that hurts before calling her a bitch and kicking her in the ribs. My God. Afterward, Jody said he went to kick me again and I put my hand out. Jody okay. held up her left hand in the courtroom showing that her ring finger was crooked. My ring finger's kind of crooked. See the top of it? Yeah, my sister's got crooked fingers. Ain't nothing happened to her. Yeah, like how you know. How are they supposed to know that your ring finger wasn't crooked to begin with? Yeah, show us some proof. Mm-hmm. <laughs> According to her, the dysfunction of their relationship reached its climax when she killed him in self-defense after he became enraged when she dropped his camera, I put, in the washing machine, <laughs> forcing her to fight for her life. <laughs> LOL, question mark. <laughs> like, did you drop it in the washing machine? Did you drop it in some mud and then decide you were going to put it in the washing machine to clean it because it was dirty? God. What are you doing? This was the third differing account of Travis's death that she gave, which both prosecutors, courtroom observers, and later jurors felt severely damaged her credibility. Obviously. Mm. Rebuttal witnesses from the prosecution included several of Travis's other girlfriends who stated he never exhibited any problems with anger or violence. So I'm sorry, but if you have other people, usually if you're abusive, you're abusive to everyone that you're dating. Yeah. At least that's what I've heard couldn't tell you but okay well <laughs> i have heard some things lately like you know because this is not a taboo subject to really discuss mm -hmm. anymore um that just because someone was not a abusive to you doesn't mean they're not abusive to someone else yeah. in their life so yeah. that's true but yeah however however for him to i to me like and i mean obviously i don't know I've had friends that have been, I've been in an emotionally abusive relationship, mm -hmm. not physical, but like, I feel like what she's saying that he did was like extreme abuse and aggression. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's I his feel like, thing. Yeah. I feel like if, if he was abusive to other people, mm -hmm. they, then it would have like built up to that. You know? Right. There I would be like, someone in his past that'd be like, no. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. he got angry at me. He snapped at me a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Maybe he Something. never hit you or was physically abusive but i feel like what she's describing you don't just start there right without Agreed. something happening you know i don't know i know i feel you so i just don't believe her maybe that's why <laughs> <laughs> jody addressed comments she made in, in a september 2008 interview with the syndicated news program inside edition which had played earlier in the trial which had been played earlier in the trial in the interview she had said quote no jury is going to convict me because i am innocent you can mark my words on that. Discussing the statement during her testimony, she said, at the time of the interview, I had plans to commit suicide, so I was extremely confident that no jury would convict me because I didn't expect any of you to be here. At the close of his cross-examination of Jody, Martinez replayed the video and prompted her to affirm that she said what she had said during the interview, that she wouldn't be convicted because she was innocent. When being questioned by Martinez, Jody was initially combative and flippant, but after several days... Martinez was able to highlight the numerous lies and inconsistencies in her testimony, and she admitted to stabbing and shooting Travis despite her earlier claims of a lapse in her memory. So she's just all over the mm -hmm. place. 
At the end of the guilt phase, the jury's foreman, William Zervakos, expressed an opinion common to both jurors and observers when he told ABC's Good Morning America that Jody's testimony didn't do her any good. He said, I think 18 days hurt her. She was not a good witness. Starting March 14th, psychologist Richard Samuels testified for the defense for nearly six days. He said Jody was likely suffering from acute stress at the time of the killing, sending her body into a fight-or-flight mode to defend itself to defend herself, which caused her brain to stop retaining memory. In response to a juror's question asking whether this scenario could occur even if this was a premeditated murder, as the prosecution contended, he responded, is it possible? Yes. Is it probable? No. Uh. <laughs> Samuels also diagnosed Jody with PTSD. Uh, Martinez attacked Samuels' credibility, accusing him of forming a relationship with Jody and being biased, as Samuels had previously testified he had compassion for her. Beginning on March 26, Alice LaViolette, a psychotherapist who specializes in domestic violence, testified that Jody was a victim of domestic abuse and that most victims do not tell anyone about abuse because they feel ashamed and humiliated. However, like this, I feel like most people know that. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to play it. Right. And people say people have the underlying opinion that most people who are abused don't say anything. Right. So if you say something, you must be. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah. No, I get it. She's crazy, guys. She's crazy. She knows what she's doing. <laughs> uh, LaViolette summarized emails from Travis's close friends stating, quote, they have basically advised Miss Arias to move on from the, relation- from the relationship that Mr. Alexander had been abusive to women. Um, the jury posed nearly 160 questions to, to LaViolette, many of them focusing on Jody's credibility. Clinical psychologist Janine DeMarty, I think, testified for the prosecution, stating that she found no evidence Travis had abused Jody and no evidence of of PTSD or amnesia in her. Jody's claims of total memory loss for long stretches of time was inconsistent with with traumatic amnesia associated with PTSD, which manifests as much shorter gaps in memory. Instead, DeMarty said Jody suffered from borderline personality disorder, showing signs of immaturity and an unstable sense of identity. People who suffer from such disorder have terrified have a terrified feeling of being abandoned by others, she told jurors. The final, wit- the final defense witness was psychologist Dr. Robert Geffner, who said that DeMarty's border- borderline diagnosis was not appropriate and that all tests taken by Jody since her arrest pointed towards an anxiety disorder stemming from trauma. You think she's traumatized and anxious because she was arrested and got caught? Maybe. My God. I'm not a psychologist, but I can come to You're that conclusion. You're a psychologist. Like, hello, I would have anxiety disorder stemming from trauma mm-hmm. if I got arrested mm-hmm. and got caught doing yes. something. Duh. Oh, my God. He also said the test indicated that she answered questions honestly without deception. Following Geffner's... Yeah, following Geffner's testimony, the state recalled Dr. Horn, who testified further on the gunshot wound and called Dr. Jill Hayes, a forensic neuropsychologist, who disputed Geffner's testimony that the MMPI test was not geared towards diagnosing borderline personality disorder, ending the long day in court at 8.29 p.m. Just random fact in there, I guess. <laughs> on April 24th, in response to previous testimony given by Jody about buying a five-gallon gas can from a Walmart store in Salinas, on June 3rd, 2008, she, that she returned on the same day, the prosecution called Amanda Webb, an employee of the only, 
an employee from the only Walmart in Salinas to the stand. Webb said that, according to Walmart's records, no one returned a five-gallon gas can on that date and that Jody actually returned the gas can a week later rather than on June 3rd. The gas can evidence was seen as important in establishing premeditation as the prosecutor argued that Jody was trying to avoid being recorded on gas station security cameras as she drove to Mesa. In closing arguments on May 4th, Jody's defense argued that the premeditation theory did not make sense. Um, who said this? Uh, Martinez. So this whole thing's a quote. Okay. What happened in that moment in time? The relationship, the relationship of chaos that ended in chaos as well. There is nothing about what happened on June 4th in that bathroom that looks planned. Couldn't it, couldn't, couldn't it also be mm. that after everything they went through in that relationship that she simply snapped? Ultimately, if Miss Arias is guilty of any crime at all, it's the crime of manslaughter and nothing more. Oh, that was the defense argument. Mm. In rebuttal, Martinez described the extent and, ver- and variety of Travis's wounds. There's no, he said, quote, there's no evidence that he ever laid a hand on her ever. Nothing indicates that this is anything less than a slaughter. There was no way to appease this woman who, who just wouldn't leave him alone. You don't stab somebody 29 times, shoot them in the back of the head, and slice their throat. Just because. Just because you're, mm. you're a little freaked out. Anxious. Anxious. Oh, so, my God. I'm anxious all the time, and Me I haven't too. stabbed anybody. Not on purpose. Just kidding. <laughs> Not at all. I haven't stabbed anybody at all. Not yet. <laughs> Jody's testimony added to a very long defense portion of the guilt phase of the trial, which led to problems with retention of jury members, obviously. Um, I would get really distracted after 18 days of listening to this bitch talk. Right? 18 days. On April 3rd, a member of the jury was dismissed for misconduct. The, de- the defense team asked for a mistrial, which the judge denied. On April 12th, another juror was excused for health reasons. A third juror was dismissed on April 25th after being arrested for a DUI. As of April 25th, the defense costs—as of April 25th of 2012, defense costs reached almost $1.7 million, which is a lot of money. Is it? I think so. Fuck. I don't know. We wouldn't know because we're we're not— Average folks. This chump change to me. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, I would God. take... I, people always say, like, <clears throat> oh, what would you do with this many millions of dollars? You know what I would do with, like, $5,000? <laughs> I could do a lot with $5,000, let alone $1.7 yeah. million. Right? <sighs> just pay off some bills and just be sitting there all satisfied with your bills paid. Mm. God. The dream. It is the dream. Start selling my foot picks, feet picks. Anybody yeah. want a foot pick? Addis. $25 a pop. <laughs> you know what I do with, sorry, this is totally off topic. No. Um, we like <laughs> We're to, just talking about foot picks. You're we fine. like to give feet fives, foot fives, mm-hmm. foot high fives. Mm-hmm. So we do that a lot. Yeah. And I introduced the guy I'm seeing, his son to him. So now he's like foot five and I'm always just like, yes. Love it. Yeah, foot five. I'm if you want it. a foot five, swing by the station. $25 a pop. <laughs> Anything to do with our feet. You got to pay for it, You got to pay. <laughs> On May 7th, 2013, after 15 hours of deliberation, Jody was found guilty of first-degree murder. Obviously. Obviously. Out of 12 jurors, five jurors found her guilty on first-degree premeditated murder, and seven jurors found her guilty on both first-degree premeditated murder and felony murder. 
which I wanted to look up what felony murder technically was. Mm-hmm. So felony murder is you can be convicted of murder even if you didn't commit the murder, but you the prosecution has to show that you participated in a felony which resulted in oh. their death. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. I learned that. All right. Um, as the guilty verdict was read, <laughs> Travis's family smiled and hugged each other. People outside the courtroom began cheering and chanting. Following the first-degree murder conviction, the prosecution was required to convince the jury that the murder was cruel, heinous. What is that word? Heinous. Heinous. Why is... Hyenas. (laughs) Why are all these legal words, like, spelled funky that... Like, that's not even how I would read it. I don't know. I couldn't even remember what that word was. Okay. Or depraved. (laughs) In order for them to determine that Jody was eligible for the death penalty... The aggravation phase of the trial started on May 15, 2013. The only witness was the medical examiner who performed the autopsy. Jody's attorneys, who had repeatedly asked to step down from the case, gave only brief opening statements and closing arguments in which they said the adrenaline rushing through Travis's body may have prevented him from feeling much pain during his death. Prosecutor Martinez showed photos of the corpse in the crime scene to the jury, then paused for two minutes of silence to illustrate how long he said it took for Travis to die at Jody's hands. Two minutes is a long time. Yeah, dude. After less than three hours of consideration, the jury determined that she was eligible for the death penalty. The penalty phase began on May 16th of 2013 when prosecutors called Travis's family members to offer victim impact statements in an effort to convince the jury that Jody's crime merited a death sentence. On May 21st, Jody offered an allocution, a formal statement to the court, during which she pleaded for a life sentence. She acknowledged that her plea for life was a reversal of remarks she made to a TV reporter shortly after her conviction, where she said she preferred the death penalty. Each time I said that, I meant it, but I lacked perspective, she said. Oh, my God. Until very recently, I could not imagine standing before you and asking you to give me my life, asking you to give me life. She said she changed her mind to avoid bringing more pain to the members of her family who were in the courtroom. At one point, she held up a white T-shirt with the word survivor written across it, telling jurors that she would sell the clothing and donate all proceeds to victims of of domestic abuse. Dude. She also said she would donate her hair to Locks of Love while in prison, which she had already done so three times while in jail. Okay. Great job. Good job. Does nothing. (laughs) Um, Not, obviously that does stuff. Donating to victims of domestic abuse and locks of love does stuff but not when you killed somebody yeah it doesn't help it doesn't doesn't counteract your actions does not help that evening in a joint jailhouse interview with the arizona republic kpnx tv and nbc's today jody said she did not know whether the jury would come back with life or death whatever they come back with i will have to deal with it i have no other choice regarding the verdict she said it feels like a huge sense of unreal unreality i feel betrayed actually by the jury i was hoping they would see things for what they are I felt really awful for my family and what they were thinking. Okay. On May 23rd, the sentencing phase of Jody's trial resulted in a hung jury, prompting the judge to declare a mistrial for that phase. The jury had reached an 8-4 decision in favor of the death penalty. After the mistrial was declared and the jury discharged, the jury foreman stated he believed Jody was mentally abused, but that had not been enough to excuse her crime. He also said, quote, I think 18 days hurt her. She wasn't a good witness and we're charged with presuming innocence, right? But she was on the stand for so long, there were so many contradicting stories. He said he found the jury responsible. He f- said the jury found the responsibility of weighing the death sentence the death sentence overwhelming, but were horrified when their efforts ended in a mistrial. By the end of it, we were mentally and emotionally exhausted. He said, I think we were horrified when they found out 
when we found out that they had actually called a mistrial and we felt like we had failed. On May 30th, Maricopa County attorney Bill Montgomery discussed the next steps at a news conference saying he was confident an impartial jury could still be seated, but it was also possible that lawyers and the victim's family could agree to scrap the trial in favor of a life sentence with no parole. The defense team tried to file multiple mistrial appeals, all this stuff, and they were all failed. (laughs) (laughs) Failed? Um, There were like four or five of them or something like that. On October 21st, 2014, her sentencing retrial began. Opening statements were given, and a hearing on evidence was held. Prosecution witness Amanda Webb called in the—called in—no. Prosecution witness Amanda Webb, the one who was from Walmart, uh, admitted that she didn't know if all records were transferred after the store relocated. After a—which, that was 2007, and I I don't know how it is for, like, obviously stores, but I know for— the healthcare industry, you have to keep files on store for seven years. Mm-hmm. That was it's seven years later. So mm. it's very well that they could have just been like, the, I don't know, you know right. what I'm saying? Yeah. After a holiday break, the retrial resumed in January of 2015. Mesa police experts admitted that Travis's laptop had viruses and pornography, contrary to the testimony in the first trial in 2013. Jury deliberations began on February 12th of 2015. On March 2nd, the jury informed Judge Stevens that they were deadlocked. Jody's attorneys requested a mistrial, but Stevens denied the request, um, read additional instructions to the jury, and ordered them to resume deliberations. On March 5th, Stevens declared a mistrial because the jurors who deliberated for about 26 hours over five days deadlocked at 11 to 1 vote in favor of the death penalty. Sentencing was scheduled for April 7th, with Stevens having the option to sentence Jody either to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole or with the, possibi- or with the possibility of parole after 25 years. On April 13th, Stevens sentenced Jody to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. So, good for her. Yeah. I, <clears throat> like, I don't really understand the, like, I mean, I kind of do, but I also don't understand, like, the deadlocked thing. Like, if majority. Right. You know? It's like 11 to 1. Like, the other one, it was, what, like, 8 to 5 or something like that? Mm-hmm. That's that's a little different. Not much. But Has to be, what is that called? A unanimous, unanimous decision. Unanimous, that's it. I get, I, like, I get it, but also it's like. It's like, okay, there's okay, one. Okay, this one person who is, I don't maybe know. Maybe they're just against the death penalty. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe they're, they're like, I don't want that on my conscience. Forget it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. <clears throat> Whatever. I feel you. I'm not going to do anything about it, to be honest with you. So, oh, my God. At least not right now. Uh, in June of 2015, after a restitution hearing, Jody was ordered to pay more than $32,000 to Travis's siblings. Her attorney stated that this was about a third of the amount requested. I don't get this some of this stuff either. Like, mm-hmm. where is she going to—where is she getting $32,000? Yeah, I don't know. How does that—where does that come from? I can't pay anybody $30,000, probably throughout my entire life. That's not true. (sighs) I just don't—that kind of stuff I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Like, how she do that? How'd she get it? Um, She'd take out a big-ass loan and then have to repay the loan back? You think the the state pays for it? Must. I don't know. I don't either. If you know the answer, let us know. Please. (laughs) As of 2016, Arias' house was housed at the Arizona Department of Corrections— uh, she started her sentence in the complex's maximum security Lumley, Lumley unit, but has the possibility of being downgraded to the medium security level. 
This was in 2016, so who knows what's happened. Mm -hmm. The case featured was featured on an episode of 48 Hours Mystery Picture Perfect in 2008, an interview which, for the first time in history of 48 Hours, was used as evidence in the death penalty trial. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. Um, this was the episode where she said, no jury's going to convict me because I'm innocent. You can mark my words on that. No jury's going to convict me. Mm. The Associated Press said the case was a circus and a runaway train, and the case grew into a worldwide sensation as as thousands followed the trial via a live, unedited web feed. They added that the trial garnered daily coverage from cable news networks and spawned a virtual cottage industry for talk shows. And at the courthouse, the entire case devolved into a circus-like spectacle, attracting dozens of enthusiasts each day to the courthouse as they lined up for a chance to score just a few open public seats into the gallery. For its fans, the the Arias trial became a live daytime soap opera. The Toronto Star stated, quote, With its mix of jealousy, religion, murder, and sex, the Jody Arias case shows what happens when the justice system becomes entertainment. Jody Arias' Dirty Little Secret, a made-for-television movie, premiered on June 22nd of 2013. Former detective of Siskiyou County, California, who yep. arrested Arias at her grandparents' home after it appeared she was on the move, came forward. He discussed his involvement in the explosive investigation and trial in a three-part limited series that aired mid-January of 2018 on investigation discovery titled Jody Arias, an American Murder Mystery. The special explores the death of Travis and the subsequent legal action in Circus as Jody was tried. An episode of Murder Made Me Famous, which aired August 15th, of 2015 also chronicled the case and in late january of 2013 artwork drawn by jody began selling on ebay lord her brother was selling it and claim her brother was selling it and he claimed that the profits went towards covering the family's travel expenses to the trial and quote better food for her while she was in jail calm down <coughs> on july 6 2018 jody's current attorney yeah sorry your slop ain't good enough for you you Murderer. You murderous heathen. On July 6, 2018, Jody's current attorneys, Margaret M. Green, a.k.a. Peg Green, and Corey Engel filed a 324-page appeal seeking her murder conviction to be overturned to the Arizona Court of Appeals. Um, This came kind of off like a tabloid website, but it said prosecutors argued in January of 2019 that she was rightly convicted in the sickening murder of Travis. That was the last thing I could find was that they were like, no, mm-hmm. your, your sentencing's not overturned. You're still a disgusting human being. Love that. Yeah. Could you tell how I feel about that case Man, at all? you— Did I stay unbiased at all? I think oh I did a God. great job of staying unbiased. You're insane, number one. Number two, yeah, great job. Thanks. Good. Awesome work. Great. Grand. Wonderful. Great. Grand. I hope to God they get this thing fixed because I don't want to switch over to a different hosting website. Yeah. I mean, I will if I have to, but I really don't want to because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's 30 episodes that I have to switch over. Oh, my god! I, mean, I don't have to. I can kind of but still, archive yeah. the old ones, but I don't want to do that. That's I don't want right. to do that to people. No. Because when we go back and reference our very first episode. <laughs> we want to say, go listen to it. We want to say, hey, go listen to it and not be like, mm, you can't listen to it. Eh. Mm. Okay. Okay. That's it. That's all of it. That was pretty good. I was I was tempted to do Jody Arias. I was I have been for a few weeks and I've not done it. So yeah, I'm glad I was you did. Like, oh, I hope she doesn't do this one this week. And I remember walking by your desk and seeing like I didn't I had no idea what you were doing, but mm-hmm. I saw some some little headline that had nothing to do with this case. And I was like, okay, I don't think mm-hmm. if that's what she was looking at was for her story, then she's not doing this case this week. So mm-hmm. 
<clears throat> so I'm good. Even if you did, I have a backup story saved. Aww. Because, like, just in case, you never know. Mm-hmm. You never know when I'm going to roll in here feeling disgusting and not want to do a story. And I feel that. You know. So I've got a backup story. You are so good. For emergencies. An emergency crime story. <laughs> An emergency true crime case. <laughs> My God. Aren't they all? <laughs> right? <laughs> so. Lord. Um, Follow us on Facebook. Instagram. Not yes. on Twitter because we're not there. No. Uh, I'm just never on Twitter. I'm not either. Like, I scroll through Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I favorite stuff. Mm-hmm. That's it. I don't even do that. I'm not creative enough to create tweets. No. I want to be. I want to be funny and create tweets. If I say something funny, I'll repeat it till I die. Yeah. <laughs> like, remember that one time I was funny? <laughs> uh, I love it. God. Um, We also have a website, offairthep.com. And... What's on TV? A com- an Mgality commercial. Oh. Um, for migraines. I have a headache right now. But I, I haven't eaten you were... anything. Oh, that's probably why you need to eat. Well, every fucking time I leave, it's to run an errand. Yeah. You and I'm like, okay, I'm going to come right back and I'm going to stop and grab something to eat on my way back. And like muscle memory... You, just drives me here, and I get here, and I walk in, and I'm like, hey, you didn't get anything to eat. Ugh. And I have a remote, and it's like a... Four I'm hour like, into the evening It's remote. a four-hour remote, so my day is like 14 hours long, randomly on a Thursday. But I'm off all next week. Yeah, and at least tomorrow's... At least it's not 14 hours long on, like, Tuesday. Right. I only have one more day left to go this week. One more day left to go for... It, like eight days. Oh my God. Hey, do we work on Memorial Day? I don't know. I feel like last year we did. Last year we did not. We did not. But I think, and I think you and Scott decided that you weren't doing the morning show that time too. I think. Well, not all of the holidays we get off do I have to come do the morning show. Right. So. I think it's Memorial Day, mm-hmm. Labor Day, mm-hmm. Christmas, Thanksgiving, and mm-hmm. I, and New Year's Day, and I think those are it. Yeah, I don't think you did the morning show Memorial Day. I don't think so. But to be honest, I don't. But I worked the Salute concert, so I don't know. Man, if I don't have to work Memorial Day too, I won't even. I'll, I'll never come back. I won't even recognize this place. So I have worked at the station for. A year and, let's see, August through May, nine months. Yeah. And I have not ever been off more than two days in a row. Mm-hmm. And if I have been off for more than two days in a row, it's because I got sick on yeah. a Thursday or a Friday or a Monday. Yeah. It's not ever been for, like, a planned time off. Yeah, it's never been for enjoyment. It's never been for my own enjoyment. <laughs> And I'm so excited. I'm so excited for you. <laughs> like, when sh- when I was thinking about it, I'm like, I have this long-ass email with just, like, a bunch of shit for you guys for next week. But it's just, Fine. it's all little stuff that takes not a ton of time. It's just mm-hmm. little. It's just all the little stuff that you do. All the little stuff. All those little things. Maybe this email, Brittany will be like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, because this is just the stuff that has to get done that's, mm-hmm. like, scheduled. Maybe we'll see. All right. Anyway. Maybe we'll see you on iTunes again. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Bye. Bye.